You know, we've been in this series on the book of Malachi, and it's a really, really important series because we're looking at the fact that sometimes God's people struggle with some apathy. Sometimes we feel some, some distance between us and God. And if that's you today, friend, I want you to know that God loves you, that God cares about you, that he's not abandoned you, he's not given up on you. In fact, he wants to meet you right here in this place today. I'm praying that today that God would use his word to soften our hearts, to draw us closer to him. So God, I just pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on us as we study your word, as we seek your face. Lord, whether uh, wherever folks are at, whether at home or here in this room, God, I just pray your spirit would fill that place, God, that you would meet us in powerful ways, that you would draw us closer to yourself, for God, we love you so much, and we pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, in order to understand what's going on in this book of Malachi, we kind of need to know a bit of the backstory. If you were here last week, I gave you some of this. So I'll give you just a little repeat there, but it'll be shorter, I promise. Um, if not, I wanted to just catch you up on, on kind of where we are with this book. It's a very interesting book because the last book of the Old Testament, uh, the last of the prophets... And so this book is written, Malachi prophesies, then there's 400 years of silence, and then God sends Jesus, okay? So this is kind of God's final word to his people, and the fact is, it's a tough word, because God's people are not doing well. That's the bottom line. Today, it's going to be a little bit like a report card for those people, right? And the fact is, it's not, they're not going to get great grades. Um, in fact, if you came here today and you're like, I'm just hopeful for like a, a message where I hear all about God's people's faithfulness and everything. Sorry, you came to the wrong place. Um, today, it's more of a message of what happens when people don't do it right. But there's a lot we can learn from that. I really believe there is. In fact, I think we all might see some of ourselves in various parts of their story, if we're, if we're willing to let God work on us in that way. So the people of Israel had been, remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They were led out of Egypt by Moses into the promised land. Then they go through a time where they're, they're following God through the prophets, and there's the period of judges, which is really crazy. Then they get their kings. Uh, you have Saul, which is not great, David, which is an amazing king, Solomon, an even better time in Israel's history. But then it kind of falls apart. And for, for quite a while, the people will go through this cycle of some obedience and then disobedience, and it, but kind of gets worse and worse and worse, eventually until the people are hauled away into exile in ba Babylon. But there, the people seek God's face. They pray to him. They repent. And just as God promised, he said, if you seek me, you will find me, even from a faraway land. And so they do that. They seek the Lord and he brings them back. He brings them home, and it's such an exciting time. The, the prophets are prophesying great things. Uh, all these kinds of things are happening, and, and they're excited. Well, about 100 years go by, and you know how sometimes hmm, the flame kind of gets a little bit more dim generation after generation? Well, this is what happens here, and the people are really not doing so great. In fact, uh, Malachi writes about a hundred years after the people had come back from home, home from exile. By this time, the temple's been rebuilt, but things are not going well, as we see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They had returned with high hopes of freedom, a new temple, 
the ability to worship God as they were called to do. They were awaiting the promised Messiah who would establish his kingdom and justice and peace would reign in Israel and around the world. But that's not what happened at all. In fact, instead, the people fall into corruption, uh, they fall into poverty, uh, they fall into injustice. And this book is written really as a series of six disputes with each section beginning with God making a, a claim or an accusation, then Israel will disagree and, or question what God is saying. Then God gives the final word. Happens six times. In the first three, God is exposing Israel's corruption, whereas in the second three, God is confronting her corruption. And the overall impression that we get is that the exile meant nothing. The people are doing just the same old stuff that they were generations before. Uh, in the first, uh, last week, we talked about the first dispute, where God says, I love you, and they say, really? How'd you ever love us? It's a rough start to the book right there. If you missed it, check it out if you want to learn more about God's love for you. The second dispute exposes a problem with Israel's temple, where we are today. God accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple, and the people fire back and say, how have we despised you? God points out that the offerings that they're bringing are, quite frankly, they're subpar. They've been called to bring great offerings, but they're bringing these animals in that are lame, that are sick. It's really pathetic. They show that they don't value or honor God. But it's not just the people, it's the priests as well, the spiritual leaders who run the temple. Not only do they tolerate, but they even participate in these pathetic offerings. From top to bottom, God's people have proven faithless. So God is displeased. But God doesn't give, all, God doesn't give up on them. God calls them out. He calls them out. Verse 6 of chapter 1. The Lord of Heaven's armies, and by the way, you're going to hear that phrase repeated ad nauseum by God today. And the reason he does it is because he's, he's repeating for emphasis to show, I am God of the whole universe, not just your nation, not just the earth, the whole universe. So I'm the God of the whole universe, and this is how you're treating me? A son honors his father. A servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Now, God is saying, basically, we have a relationship problem, and it's you. You can't even stand my name anymore. Now, that's a bad time, right? Like, for example, let's say that um, a guy comes into my office for counseling. Well, let's just be honest. A guy comes into Pastor Jonathan's office. He's a much better counselor than I am, okay? Pastor Jonathan, a guy comes into his office, and the guy is like, Pastor Jonathan, I need your help with my wife. Okay, um, well, start off simple. What's her name? And the guy says, oh, no, 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 no. I am not saying her name. When I say her name, it triggers me. I wow, I just want to listen to angry music. I just want to think about the Incredible Hulk. I can't stand to hear that name. Well, we may have pinpointed part of the problem here, sir. If you can't even stand her name, it's going to be difficult for you to really work on things. So let's start there, right? And God's like, look, you show, such content you show contempt for my name. That's how far apart we are now. That's how you're treating me. 
You don't love me. You don't care about me. And then he exposes her corruption um, through ta- by talking about their sacrifices. And, and the sacrifices, we've got to remember, this is a system that God had set up in the Old Testament. And the reason for this is because we sin, we mess up, we can't pay the price for our sins, and so ultimately Jesus was going to die to pay the price. Well, he hadn't come yet. And so God gave the people the sacrificial system where they would be, bring different sacrifices. Uh, sometimes it was grains or these kind of things. Sometimes it was uh, animals like sheep or, or cattle or whatnot, depending on the person and, and the situation. The Bible gives very detailed instructions on these. You can read about them in the early books of the Bible. And, uh, and this is very important to God. Now, again, Jesus replaced all this. We don't do this today because, obviously, sacrificing a sheep doesn't pay the price for anybody's sin, right? It takes more than just that. But this was something pointing forward to Jesus. Now, when the people brought sacrifices, they were instructed to bring the best, Don't bring anything that's lame or sick or anything like that. No, you bring the firstborn, you bring something costly to you, you bring the best. So you don't look around and say, hey, which animal looks like it's going to die tomorrow? Yeah, let's take that one and sacrifice that one to God. Nope, not that at all, right? But the people were doing just the opposite, right? It is incredible um, what God says to them. It says, you, verse 7, you've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on the altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defiled them by saying that the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. But when you give blind animals the sacrifices, isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. You're bringing me these sick, weak sacrifices. You wouldn't even do that to your governor, right? He wouldn't take this, right? Why are you doing this with me? God's basically saying like, hey, when you go to pay your taxes, do you give them Burger King coupons? No, they don't take that. You've got to pay them, right? That's how it works. If you'll do that for your governor, why are you bringing me this junk? I remember in high school, I got to, uh, we did this like uh, drive uh, collecting clothes for the homeless. And I remember we had to sort these things, fold them, all that stuff. And man, some of the stuff brought in was just terrible, right? And it's like, why would you give this away? This is trash, right? Like, well, it's Grandpa Joe's old ashtray and underwear he often wore. Can I get a $300 tax credit for that? No, you, you don't get it. You're missing the point. It's, the point is to help people, not to garbage, right? Come on, throw trash in the trash. It's like what they're doing, it's kind of like if uh, one of your kids or grandkids asks you for a puppy, right? You're like, sure, we can get you a puppy. I'll go to the pet store and get one, right? Your kid comes home from school that day, there's the puppy, and they're like, why is the puppy laying in the corner, corner puking? I don't get it. And does it not have four legs? I only see two. Well, 
Yeah, you're probably not going to be able to play fetch with it. That's not going to work too well. But good news, it was in the 75% off cage at the pet store. You got a great deal. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, all God's animals deserve a good home, but that poor dog needs to go to the vet and get better, right? You don't bring that animal to your kids. You wouldn't do that. And God's saying, look, that's what you're doing with me. You treat me worse than the government. Essentially what they're doing is they're taking and they're applying kind of like, you know, like for us, we like to find bargains, right? Uh, Some of you are probably professional shoppers. You're great at hunting for bargains, and you tell everybody where to find them. That's great, right? Bargains are nice. For example, if you walk into Kroger later today to buy something, and you find it on sale, you're probably happy, right? Like you don't say, ah, dang it, I was hoping to pay full, full price for that item. I mean, if, how's this work? If I pay that lower price, how are those executives ever going to get their bonus? I don't know how to, this is bad news, right? You probably don't do that, right? You're probably like, yes, a deal, this is great. But that's not what we do in our faith. It's different when you find an item on sale than when you're worshiping the Lord. And God is saying, I don't want your spiritual cheapness. I don't want that. The fact is, for some of us, we are spiritually apathetic because we're spiritually cheap. We're trying to give God the very lowest that we can give him. That's not good. Like, saying, okay, God, what, what is the bare minimum I can do to get to heaven? I mean, surely it does not mean going on that junior high mission trip. Oh, no, that, that can't be a requirement. But what is, how many Sundays a year can I miss? Can we just get that out there, right? Like, how many Sundays can I, I miss, right? You know, or, um, you know, what's the bare minimum offering I need to put in? Or, or do I really, you know, do I really need to read the Bible? I think we pay a pastor to do that stuff, right? Or, I don't know, I mean, how much do I have to pray? Does it count if I just pray at stoplights and never any other time? Would that work? Is that enough? Friends, God will hear you whenever you pray. And God is thankful for everything that you give him, but he wants our best. Have you ever been in a relationship where it's really clear that you care more about the relationship than the other person cares? You're always giving. You're always investing. And all they come around for is to get something from you. It feels kind of draining, and you get tired. Think, why don't I need to make some new friends, or I need to date somebody else, or whatever it is, because this is not not working out. I don't feel their commitment. And it's not that we earn our relationship with God. We can't possibly do that. But friends, blessing comes down when when praise goes up, okay? When we give ourselves to God, it's like investing in that relationship. God is always 100% invested in you. Not a day goes by when your heavenly Father gives you anything less than his best. Like he always loves you fully, always cares for you fully. His ears are always on when you pray. His spirit is inside of you. You're a follower of Jesus and you read the word like he wants to speak to you. He wants to move in your life. And yet there'll be times where we feel closer than others. That's okay. Keep giving yourself to God. Don't stop giving yourself to God. Blessing comes down when praise goes up, because God doesn't want our spiritual cheapness. Look at the extreme he goes to in verse 10. 
How I wish that one of you would shut the temple doors so these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. Wow. The temple is a big deal. It's like the place where they believe that heaven and earth met. And this is what they had worked for decades and decades to rebuild this thing. And now the people care so little, they're just bringing these garbage offerings. And God's like, you know what? That nice building that you built, shut it down. If you don't even care enough to show up, if you don't even care enough to give me your best, what's the point? Don't just sit here going through the motions. God's serious about this stuff. Why? Because our commitments to God matter. We talk about here how um, the gospel has two halves. The first half, we say, is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what God's talking about. Do you honor, do you honor your commitments to the Lord? The second half of the gospel is this. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Because the Bible's clear, you can't have one without the other. You can't do one without, you can't say, no, I only love God, I don't like people at all. It doesn't work that way. We love God and we love others because they're God's children, right? They're God's creation. Well, there was a problem here in Malachi, and this leads us to kind of the second thing that God calls them out for this day. Um, they are also dishonoring their covenants to one another. We've got an image about this as well. In this third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of breaking their commitments to him and to their wives, which, of course, they deny. God exposes the toxic combination of idolatry and divorce taking place. Israelite men were leaving their wives for non-Israelite women and then adopting the worship of the new wives' false gods. The people are fine with this. And Malachi says, no, this is a betrayal of your relationship with God. Now, there, there's some nuance to this we have to understand. See, God had commanded his people that they're only to marry other Israelites. Now, we need to understand very clearly, this is not like a condemnation of marrying someone with a different ethnicity as you. That's not what it's about. What God is saying is that he knew that the fact that the other nations around them did not worship the Lord. So if the people married into those nations, they would marry people who are worshiping false gods. They're going to bring their false gods with them, and it's going to distract the Israelites from worshiping the Lord. And this happened generation after generation after generation. God's people continually failed to do this, and, and it continued to be a damaging thing uh, to, their, um, to their nation. Well, they'd come back from exile, they were on fire, they're rebuilding the temple, they're excited, but now this generation, this faithless generation has come up, and it was like when they were young, and, you know, they, they were still with their parents who were, um, who were faithful to God, they, they found Israelites women, and they married them, all this stuff, but now that they're older, they're seeing these, these foreign women, and they're false gods, and they're, they're actually divorcing their Israelite wives, and choosing these other wives who are following false gods. And God is angry about this. I, it goes on for quite a number of verses, so I'll just summarize it to you. God says, I hate this. He literally uses the word hate. I hate it when you men divorce your wives and you leave them. They've always been faithful to you, and you leave them for these other women who don't even know me, who don't care about me. 
This is a big deal to God. Why? Because our covenants to one another matter to God as well. And marriage, of course, is the biggest covenant that we ever make. Till death do us part, we say. It's not the only covenant that matters, but it's a big one. And hear me clearly, friends. I know that, um, that, that for many in our congregation, you've been through divorce, and you know that pain, and you know that hurt. And please don't hear these words as words of condemnation today. No, God is a God of grace and forgiveness for all of us, for all of our stuff. And I know that the, that the situations around divorce can be very complicated and very difficult. And for those who haven't gone through divorce, I'm sure there are still times where we have to say, you know, we haven't lived out our vows as well as we should have. And we've had to confess that to each other and to God. And for those who are single, there's been times where we've made agreements with others and we've been in relationships with others and honestly, we haven't been who we were called to be in those relationships. And in all of these things, God says, be faithful to your word. Be faithful to your covenant. Be faithful to your covenants with my people because your word matters. Your word matters when you give yourself to me. Your word matters when you give yourself to others. And if you're not doing this, you're going to find distance between you and the Lord. You're going to find some apathy. You're going to find some hardness in your heart. If you're feeling this in your heart, maybe the place that you need to look first is at your covenants with others. Maybe there's situations in your life, there's broken relationships, there's hurt, there's pain. Maybe God's calling you to go right first to that relationship and to do whatever's possible on your part to make amends or to at least apologize. Or maybe for you there's some apathy that has set in because it's hard to say why, but you just feel this distance between you and God. And it used to be that you could pray and you felt God so close and now you just, you don't find yourself praying much. You don't find yourself in the word much. If you're honest, you're not really making too much of sacrifice anymore. And God's calling you and he's saying, won't you come back? Won't you come back to your first love? Won't you come back to the greatest love in your entire life? Won't you come back to me because my arms are open? I love you, I care about you, I forgive you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So I'm gonna pray in a minute. And I'm gonna invite you, if there's areas of your life, just to give those things to the Lord. So Lord, would you hear our prayers today? For some of us, there's some broken relationships in our lives and we need your help. We need your wisdom and guidance in how to navigate that. Maybe we need some humility in how to seek forgiveness. Whatever it is. Maybe we need to take a step towards restoration, if that's what you're calling. Show it to us, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to be courageous and to do these things that you call us to. And God, for others of us, maybe it's some distance we have with you. 
Maybe we never said yes to you. Jesus, may today be the day where we say yes. Come into my life. Forgive me. I can't pay the price for, uh, on my own for my sin. I need you, Jesus. I need your grace and your forgiveness. I trust in your perfect sacrifice. Or maybe for others, we've, we've made this choice, but if we're honest, we've kind of been bargain basement in our spiritual life. We're sorry, God. We didn't mean to give you our leftover garbage. But today we see it for what it is. And today we confess it to you. And we say, Jesus, here I am. I want to give you my best. I want to stop giving you junk. I want to stop giving you the leftovers. I want to be all in for you. Because you gave your all for me. We love you, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.